look for those opportunities. So they're unlikely to just land in your lap. Complacency is probably the enemy in in that sort of role. I'll go out and do site visits. They go, oh, is it an audit? Well, I'm coming out to give you some training. So it'd be very unfair to audit you first when I haven't told you what you should be doing yet or what the process looks like. Are you ready to know what you don't know about Privacy Pros? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Privacy Pros Academy podcast by KZN Privacy Experts, the podcast to launch, progress and excel your career as a Privacy Pro. Hear about the latest news and developments in the world of privacy. Discover fascinating insights from leading global privacy professionals. And hear real stories and top tips from the people who've been where you want to get to. We're an official IAPP training partner. We've trained people in over 137 countries and counties. So, whether you're thinking about starting a career in data privacy, or you're an experienced professional, this is the podcast for you. and welcome to the Privacy Pros Academy podcast. My name is Jamila and I'm a data privacy analyst at Kazian Privacy Experts. With me today as my co-host is Jamal Ahmed, Fellow of Information Privacy and CEO at Kazian Privacy Experts. Jamal is an astute and influential privacy consultant, strategist, board advisor and Fellow of Information Privacy. He's a charismatic leader, progressive thinker and innovator in the privacy sector who directs complex global privacy programs. He's a sought-after commentator, contributing to the BBC, ITV News, Euronews, Talk Radio, The Independent and The Guardian, amongst others. Hi, Jamal. How are you? Feeling great. Happy mood. So, uh, yeah. 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 And what's Casey got planned in the new year or the Privacy Pros Academy? What, what's the plan in the new year? Oh, we've got so many amazing plans for the new year. Uh, one of the things we're focusing on is to help at least 50 of our academy mentees to um, attain the Fellow of Information Privacy uh, status from the International Association of Privacy Professionals. So that's going to be amazing. We're also looking to launch more accessible digital products so people can actually come. And some people have you know, time constraints. We're going to make stuff available to people so they can really access it as and when they're available and when they're free. And if somebody wants it all at the same time, then great. If someone can only manage five or ten minutes a day, then that's also great for them too. So we're looking for more ways to better serve people next year. Lots of exciting stuff coming up, so stay tuned. Great. Um, and coming up on our podcast today, we've got a guest who works in the healthcare slash health tech sector. So we'll be finding out more about that and about the UK data protection landscape. Our guest today is Faye Godfrey. And over the last eight years, Faye has worked in the healthcare slash health tech sector as a legal slash data protection advisor. Faye loves the innovation and the constantly involving challenges presented by this industry. She's currently a data protection officer and solicitor for Siemens Health and Ears. Most recently, Faye was a finalist for the Outstanding DPO Award at the 2022 Picasso Privacy Awards. Hi, Faye. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Uh, so as we always do on the uh, podcast, we start off with an icebreaker question. And since we're in the festive spirit, uh, my question for you is which colour quality street is the best? I would say the purple one. Yeah. <laughs> and there's never enough of them. But I see yeah. you can buy them separately now, so I can just eat a whole bag of the purple ones. <laughs> you can. My mum bought a big bag of the strawberry ones because they seem to go quite quickly oh, in our house. Yeah. Yeah, my, yeah. My, my local superstore is so bad. At the checkout, they have like a big purple wrapper with loads of them inside. <laughs> <laughs> so as, as soon as you go to the checkout, that's the first thing you grab when you're there. Very yeah. smart. 
but very bad. You know, what I've just realized, this podcast is going to go out in the air, and most people will be trying to uh, focus on being healthier. Yeah. As we are sorry, everyone, stay strong, stay focused, and be healthy. Yeah. Okay, let's, so let's get into the questions. Faye, firstly, how did you find risk? We met at risk a few weeks ago. How did yeah, you find did. it? What did you enjoy about it? Um, obviously, meeting you um, and going to visit your store was the highlight. I really enjoyed the whole thing. Thank so you. I had a, a spare few moments in between the talks and I went to look around some of the stalls. And I mean, I just sort of got lost in a maze of <laughs> a maze of people. And it was just great to sort of network with people and um, yeah. listen to all the speakers. Yeah, it was a really good event. I really enjoyed it. Did you have a favourite talk that you went to or a favourite speaker? Um, I did enjoy the Max Schrems talk. And I was sort of prepared to yeah. sort of think that maybe I'd be challenging some of his views, but he was a, a very competent speaker and he made some really excellent points. So I really enjoyed um, his, his sort of talk, especially. Yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, from the whole exhibition, uh, Max Schrems was probably the highlight. I mean, he usually is. And he's the one that brings all the crowds in, isn't he? Anyway. Yeah. And I just like the way he kind of really presents himself. He's very casual. Um, some people might not agree with his use of language, can be a bit explicit sometimes, but uh, I just think he says it how it is, and you can see exactly where he's coming from. And the thing is, it actually makes sense. And I know there's some businesses out there that think mushrooms yeah. is anti-business or whatever it is, but if you look at what he's doing and why he's doing it, it makes sense. Like, why would you want people in Europe, or if why would you want anyone to be subject to arbitrary surveillance? Like, nobody wants to be spied on. We're talking about privacy. We're privacy professionals, and we're saying, look, we, the reason we care so much about your right to privacy is because when you impact somebody's right to privacy, then that has a domino effect on all the other rights. So, for example, if someone's being surveilled, then it might impact who they choose to go and meet with. So your uh, right to freedom of association mm -hmm. and assembly. In the UK, I know there was using facial recognition. That put me off from going to demonstrate and standing up for what I believe in because I didn't want to be subject to any profiling, mm -hmm. especially, you know, being my demographic when you get on flights. It's not the kind of challenges you want to have at the airport. So you stay away from those things. That takes away my freedom of speech and my freedom to protest. And then you can see how when you start impacting on that right to privacy, it impacts all the other rights. And I think that's why the work we do is so important. And that's why what Max Schrems is doing is super important. And we should all be celebrating him and supporting uh, NYOB, if anything. Faye, you've been in the data protection industry since before GDPR came about. How have yeah. you seen um, attitudes towards data protection changing? I think they've changed quite a lot, actually. When I first started, um, I had a DPO title in 2013, but I was a very young sort of paralegal. And I, you know, it's sort of chalk and cheese from my DPO role now. I don't think I could have, with any credibility, really um, sort of blocked a deal or <laughs> challenged um, sort of directors on some of their decision making or things like that. So, you know, it was a very different time. There weren't many, as far as I could see in the industry, DPOs like there are now. And the understanding around data protection was sort of... It was viewed as a bit of an irritation, I think, by quite a few sectors, particularly on the sales side. So it felt like you're always butting heads with them and, you know, stopping them from doing what they wanted to be doing. And I, I there's still an element of that there's going to be. But I think it's there's much more of an understanding. And as GDPR came in, um, I certainly felt like it was a 
a good thing. It was the right thing to be sort of, you know, updating the legislation, trying to put the individual at the heart of what is ultimately a people law about people's data. So that felt like the right thing to be doing. And I was able to kind of bring people on board with, with that journey, which is very different from my very early experiences. And I think now it's a much better, much better role to have than it was back then because you're not constantly sort of justifying why you're why you're there and you're not having to explain why you know data security is important because everyone sort of at a base level understands that of whatever role they're in um so yeah i think it's a it's a huge um hugely evolving role and again could change going forward depending what the data protection reforms are going to be in the uk coming forward because it could be that we see the data protection officer role disappear to a certain extent, but um, I'm not sure if that will ever, well, hopefully it won't because I'll be out of a job. So <laughs> hopefully it won't ever totally disappear. Um, but I, I still think it's um, a very important and relevant role going forwards because really our um, our laws haven't um, or won't hopefully diverge too greatly from the European GDPR and what our colleagues there are up to. Yeah. How do you see the UK data protection landscape changing then maybe in the next five years? Do you still, how do you see it evolving? I mean, it is a little uncertain at the moment, um, to say the least. To be honest, I, if I, my gut feeling is it probably won't change too dramatically. Um, and I've sort of spoken before in different forums about, you know, how you've sort of got a seesaw, I suppose. So if you're going to bring in really drastic changes, you can maybe achieve some of the aims that the government are after. But you put us so um, divergent from the EU GDPR and what they're up to that you will, you know, potentially jeopardise our adequacy decisions. So there's that sort of seesaw and it feels like we're probably somewhere balanced in the middle where maybe there aren't going to be huge changes. Maybe it's a safer position in terms of adequacy. So I'm feeling like, and I might be wrong, but there, there might not be a huge, huge shift. But I think globally there's lots of interesting things happening. So that might have an impact, particularly if people are part of, you know, global organisations where you've got lots of activity happening elsewhere. Lots of uh, really interesting points there, Faye. And I want to dive a little bit further into your uh, expertise and insights into uh, the actual changes to the UK data protection uh, laws. And um, we'll get into that in a moment because I know you've had uh, so many Preset conferences where you've actually discussed this at length and you've shared some really fascinating insights. But there was something interesting that you said while you was introducing where you was five years ago to where you are now. And you said at that point, you didn't feel like anybody would kind of listen to you or you wouldn't have the kind of um, buy-in that you need from the stakeholders, whereas that's completely different to where you are now. So my question is, what advice would you give to somebody who is finding themselves in the first kind of role where they've got a little bit of self-doubt, where they might have a little bit of imposter syndrome, uh, where they mm-hmm. can't feel like they can assert themselves. Or if if it helps, what advice would you give to your younger self knowing what you know now? 
Oh, that's a tricky one. Um, I, I think it comes down a lot of it to a sort of data privacy compliance culture. And it's really, really difficult to try and build that from scratch if that's sort of what the blocker is. So I suppose it would be to try and get mm. an ally. Um, it, you know, that, that was how I eventually sort of overcame that was to, to get an ally, um, which I found in the finance director. So I was quite lucky that they were at a senior enough position to be able to make some of the decisions that I couldn't make. Um, I think maybe I got lucky there to a certain extent, um, but I think certainly just trying to get somebody on board who can sort of support. Once you start explaining things to people, um, that sometimes helps. And I found that making things as relatable as possible was also really helpful. So trying to put yourself in the shoes of, you know, this could be your mother, your friend, your sister, you know, how would you feel if if that was happening to them or you had, you know, caused that breach um, of their personal data and just trying to make it as relatable as possible. Because I think sometimes the misconception is that's something happening at board level or, you know, it's a, a legal thing. It's not a, anything to do with me. So it's, it's trying to make it mm-hmm. as related to what they're up to as possible, particularly in, you know, the sales roles or the marketing world where um, sometimes they feel like they're um, slightly one step away from it. Wow, amazing. Two two very valuable insights. So, uh, Faith, if I wanted to do correctly, what you said is the first uh, piece of advice you would give, or the first thing that really worked for you was to go and find a senior stakeholder, somebody that has the power, uh, somebody that has the influence and find who your closest ally is going to be. So identify who that person might be. Start off with them, get them to really understand um, what you're trying to do, what, how it's going to help impact the business, and why you're making the suggestions that you're making, and really get them to help you to push forward your uh, agenda. And the second thing uh, you said, which I really resonate with, is about making things relatable for individuals in the business. Mm-hmm. So people are really focused on their business objectives. They really want to make sure they're getting the results that they're being measured on. And when compliance and data protection or privacy come in and they start asking questions, usually they see them as these guys, I can't trust them. They're probably just going to block me from whatever I'm doing. and They're going to take my time away from what I need to focus on. And sometimes they'll just uh, say what you think you want to hear. But yeah. what we found really works is actually explaining things to them in a way that makes sense to them, explaining things to them in a way that makes it true for them by giving them examples of showing how this could relate to their own family, to themselves, to people they love, and then getting them to think about it rather than from just their head, but actually from their heart. And that's when you've got the real buy-in and you found that the attitude has shifted and you was able to, shall we say, mature their understanding of mm-hmm. why privacy and security really matters and why what they do has an impact on that and every single person counts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's definitely it in a nutshell. What would you say, um, Faye, you work in the health sector specifically, what would you say are the mm. biggest challenges in data protection that are faced by the health sector um, or the health tech sector specifically? I think they're probably twofold. So I, I think the first one is the amount of personal data that they're processing. So, you know, if you're looking mm-hmm. at a hospital, you've got everyday patients coming in, you've got lots of staff, you've got lots of suppliers. Um, so the volumes that they're dealing with is a lot bigger than than some other um, industries. And then that's sort of compounded by the complexity. So particularly where you've got new or innovative things happening, particularly in sort of the health tech space. I can remember when sort of surgery arm um 
robotic arms come in for um, surgery mapping. I was like, wow, that's amazing. Um, and they were like, this is old tech, Faye. <laughs> so you need to get up to speed with what we're doing. But, you know, it, it's things like that that you're having to then think about, you know, cookies in smart TVs come up. And, you know, there are some times when you're dealing with things that actually haven't been dealt with before because you're right at sort of the cutting edge of of tech. So that can um, add a challenge if you haven't got the right people involved and the right understanding that you know potentially there's nothing there to say it's a problem because um, we're doing this for the first time so that's the bit that I find very exciting but it is also a challenge because you're you know sometimes paving the way for things that that haven't been there before so there's always going to be a risk that you you don't get it quite right because you haven't really got much else to to have a look at and to draw inspiration from so I think those are the the two things very interesting there's a lot of stuff that you wouldn't necessarily think about like robot arms you wouldn't think oh that's anything to do with data privacy or so it must be quite difficult but also like mind-boggling in a way (laughs) yeah absolutely and I'm not a tech person so there's also that gap in my own knowledge so I'm trying to have to you know okay well tell me about that how does that actually work you know sometimes I say explain it to me like I'm five because I just don't have the the tech knowledge there um so but you know it's 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 really interesting but that that certainly is a challenge maybe my own personal challenge yeah, that last I'm like that. So, um, you said what you find exciting but find challenging at the same time is that you're working at the cutting edge of technology, that it's all new, innovative, revolutionary technology. And you're having to go and focus on this and say, okay, how does this impact personal information? How are we building in privacy into the design of this? And how are we going to make sure we've got privacy as a default? And I'm sure you've probably had a number of DPIAs. We probably had to refer them to the supervisory authority to see if you can move forward with this and how to mitigate some of those risks. Now, when it comes to DPIAs, one of the things you've explained is um, you're not the leader on the tech. So it's really important uh, to make sure that you go and identify the right individuals and extract the correct information from them. Oftentimes, one of the things that really frustrates me is where people in privacy are completing DPIs, but they're not subject matter experts. But obviously, as a DPO, the role should be to assist the business, not actually do them. Mm. And this is one of the things that really bugs me is when I see privacy professionals completing DPIs uh, because they think it's a little bit of a tick box exercise and it needs to be done because it's on their to-do list and the business has been bugging them. Um, and I really like the fact that you have to go and engage the right people. Why is it so important to make sure that we engage the right people um, when it comes to doing DPIA specifically. For yeah, it's super important. And we tend to have a little working group sometimes. So we'll complete them maybe alongside, I don't know, a supply questionnaire or something. Um, but yeah, it's it's so important because you will often need, you know, somebody from IT, somebody from the business, myself, you might need someone from regulatory, particularly if it relates to sort of a medical device. Um, and, and actually you're, you're pulling in loads of people because everyone's got a little piece of the puzzle um, that you need. So I, I've, I see myself, you're right, I'm not the um, sort of subject matter sort of business leader on it. So I, I see myself sort of a bit of a coordinator um, and then can support with some of the more technical legal language that they have around, you know, lawful basis for processing and that sort of thing. 
Um, but yeah, it's it's so important because actually they are all practical risks, you know. Um, and I, you know, it's, it's a similar thing I have with contracts. You know, can you practically comply with that? You know, can you delete it immediately because it, you know it's all well and good having these things on paper, but can you actually do them in practice? They're meant to be useful. Um, and I probably talk about DPIAs being a useful, helpful document um, more times in the day than anything else. But you know, it's it's a it's a drum I think really worth banging. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. So another valuable tip from Faye. Faye, you're giving so much value in this podcast already. It's amazing. Oh, I'm pleased. So uh, Faye's <laughs> next valuable tip is when you are completing data protection impact assessments, then one of the things that can really help you to get the answers and make sure you get all of the pieces of the puzzle and you're not blindsided is set up a working group and bring in people from the relevant departments from the relevant area. So together you can really explore all of the different angles, get the relevant information, really understand what the impact is, and then you can come up with great data protection impact assessments. And what I mean by a great data protection impact assessment is you've actually really understood what the risks are. And because you've understood what the risks are to the rights and freedoms of the individual, to protecting their privacy, you're now in a greater or a better position to work with the business to be able to mitigate those risks and then roll out an amazing product or an amazing new service that's really going to have a massive impact. And that's what we really are here to do, for, isn't it? We're here to empower businesses to deliver great products and services that have a massive impact on society whilst doing that in a way where we're respectful of the individual rights and freedoms. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the respectful bit is just so important. Now, I want to revisit what we were speaking about earlier when you mentioned about the UK data protection reforms. Hey, I struggle to understand the motivation behind the government for this. And for me, I feel like it's just something political that they're uh, introducing to say there was a benefit of Brexit. This GDPR stuff is causing everybody so many problems. And let's rip it up and let's bring our own thing and we're back in business. And what irritates me so much is I see the ICO using the same hashtag and they're also now coming up with quotes, uh, some of them a bit daft, on how they're back in business and really taking that government rhetoric. Should the ICO not be impartial from politics? Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I, and I think that's one of the big challenges with, uh, you know, getting business buy-in, because ultimately, if you've got to comply with new law, then you've got to get the business on board to make any changes. And the GDPR felt more of a noble pursuit, I suppose. But this does feel a little bit like a you know, politically motivated exercise rather than, I'm, yeah, I'm the same. I'm struggling to find anything tangible to cling on to that feels like it's, you know, going to make a real impact to people and a real positive benefit. And I, I agree. I think the ICO should be being impartial and, you know, supporting uh, sort of causes where there's, um, you know, like the children's code, for example, that felt like um, a positive push forward and something that the ICO should be championing and, you know, getting behind, getting tighter on the use of children's data because they are more sort of vulnerable. But I'm not sure you can say exactly the same thing here with the proposed reforms. So, yeah, I, th I think there should be a healthy degree of caution maybe as to the um, motives behind it and the unwavering support that you may want to, to give to that. And the other thing that confuses me is if we're saying we're backing businesses, every time there's a change in the business, it has significant cost to the business, mm. whether that's because they have to pay legal fees, whether that's operational um, disruption, whether that's the learning curve. 
if you truly do want to back businesses, why would you cause change? And why would you want them to comply with multiple pieces of legislation when the one we have is doing a great job? It is the one that is, seems to be uh, inspiring many countries, governments, um, and other, other, other you know, international bodies around the world. Why are we going backwards instead of forwards? And be, uh, on the underlying tonality, it seems to me, is our current government seems to have an agenda of where they actually want to erode human rights. And I think there was some talk about actually um, signing out or leaving the European Convention on Human Rights. Mm. As a privacy professional, someone who is here to uh, really protect and promote those civil liberties and those rights, I find that appalling. What are your thoughts on that, Jimbilanfe? I think the... Um... The issue is lots of organisations spent a lot of money complying with the GDPR. That wasn't that long ago. And I could really, you know, get business buy-in because it felt like the right thing to be doing. This doesn't have the same draw to it. So you're now asking them to spend lots of money on something when actually I'm not sure that there is the business benefit there. So, you know, some of the examples of cost saving, it's actually going to cost them more and they're not really seeing the benefit to it. So uh, I think that's going to be a really tough sell to the business, particularly if you're an international organisation, because, you know, there will be other colleagues who have to commit to, you know, potentially higher standards. So why would you pay extra money to bring maybe a slightly lower standard in without really much benefit other than it will cost you to make those changes? So um, I completely agree with you on that. And, uh, you know, I completely agree in terms of eroding sort of civil 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 liberties it's, it's so important that we sort of are maintaining and really being front runners and champions of of people's human rights so it feels like the wrong direction and the opposite direction to um what a lot of our global colleagues are doing to try and you know as you say base their own um data protection laws on the gdpr because it's seen as sort of the gold standard so yeah it's an interesting approach to um, wh where we're going in terms of direction. And I'm not sure that I'm fully behind it. Well, the, the good news is um, when Jamila was in primary school, uh, she decided she's going to be the prime minister of this country. So Jamila, <laughs> you're ready to start campaigning. You'll have the support of all of us here and the entire pricing cross community. I don't think I've got the energy to do that anymore, but it is true. That is what I wanted to be when I was younger. But it just doesn't make any sense from a layman's point of view. Like if mm. something's working... What it seems like they're just angry about Brexit and they're trying to make a change to show that they can, not because it's yeah. the best thing to do. Yeah, they're like totally. throwing all their toys out the pram. If the whole world are trying to copy GDPR, as you said, or base their legislation on GDPR, then why would we want to change it for something clunkier that could affect businesses? You know, um, isn't this government supposed to be the party of businesses? Before we get too political, I don't know, it just seems like mm. a very strange move. There's the businesses on one side, and because we work very closely with businesses, we're talking about it, but at the heart of everything we're talking about is the individual, the rights of the individual, and the intentions <clears throat> and the freedoms they should have as individuals to live their life free and with, with confidence, knowing that businesses are actually doing the right thing, and not just businesses, but all organisations, when they share their personal information with them, when they hand that over, they can be safe in the knowledge that it's actually being protected. And why would I want to be a second-class global citizen where I mm. know my friends in Europe have higher protections over their information? Mm. 
Whereas when you come to the UK, it's eroded. And why would any European in that case want to do business with any business British company um, when they know that we have less protections in place for them? It, it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense to me from any angle whatsoever. Let's move to something more positive. Faye, what advice would you give to someone who is looking to pivot their career into data privacy? Oh, uh, that's a very interesting question. Um, I would recommend that they attend all of the conferences, talks, podcasts, um, all the like that they can just to um, try and embed themselves in the data privacy community because it's a, it's a great community, lots of people sharing lots of content, um, particularly on you know LinkedIn at the likes of Risk or PrivSec or wherever that may be. And people are very generous with their time and their knowledge. So I would suggest that would be a really good place to start to try and start building up the knowledge base. What are the things, the topics that lots of people are talking about? What are the lots of issues that are coming up because, um, you know, you see an update happening, LinkedIn explodes with uh, comments on it. So it's a really um, useful way of, of getting a gauge of the, the landscape. So that would be my, my first recommendation. Okay, wow. So uh, Faye's, Faye's first recommendation is kind of uh, amazing. And what she says is, be like a sponge and immerse yourself mm -hmm. in the right environments Go to the conferences, go to the webinars, go and listen to the talks, listen to the podcasts, and just soak everything in. And then once you've started soaking everything in, you have a really good understanding of what's actually going on. Make sure you're relevant. Understand what are the hot topics or what are the key issues that businesses are focusing on right now. So when people start discussing, not only can you actually understand the discussions, but you can also start contributing to the discussions. And what you find when you get yourself a powerful community is that people are willing to help, people will support you. And that's only going to help you to understand things from different points of view. And sometimes we don't even know what it is that we don't even know. And it takes somebody like mm. a mentor to go. And when you hear it being discussed, when you're challenged, when you ask questions, and when you actually have to talk about it and think about it, you get the aha moment. It's like, ah, that makes total sense. On that note, Faye, uh, we have the Privacy Pros Academy, and we've been mentoring uh, hundreds of privacy professionals from all over the world. And one of the things that's really been working for us, and it really worked for me in my early career, is what I call the C5 methodology. And basically, there's five things that we really focus on. The first thing is about clarity. So I believe that before we can do anything else, we need total clarity. Now, whether that's clarity in understanding of what the regulations are, whether that's clarity in understanding what the business is doing or what the business is actually saying, what their objectives are, I believe that without clarity, we're setting ourselves up for a fail and we're going to be working on assumptions or what we think is true, but we mm. actually have no idea. So for me, clarity is the first point. The second thing we focus on is the actual um, competence. So once you have the clarity, you need the competence. How do we get that competence? Well, you have to go and find the things that are going to help you to upskill yourself to be able to do this stuff. The third thing for me is credibility. Credibility is super important, as we discussed earlier, because if you are not able to explain things to people in a way where they can relate to it, you will never be able to get their buy-in. And if you can't get their buy-in, you won't be able to have a positive impact. In fact, you'll probably find that you're frustrated and you're going to shrink into yourself even more. And that self-imposter syndrome and that self-doubt is just going to cripple you. So credibility comes from being able to explain the law, the legal requirements in a way that anyone can understand. And as they said, make it relatable to the people you're speaking to so they understand how it actually relates to them. So clarity, confidence, credibility, uh, competence. 
And the final one is community. And I believe that you need a powerful community around yourself of people who are at the same level of you, people who are ahead of you so you can learn from them, and people who are a few steps behind you so you can support them and they will then push you up and help you to grow even further and really help you to cement your knowledge. What are your thoughts on our C5 methodology, Faye? I think that sounds brilliant. That captures absolutely everything. And it gives a very sort of well-rounded view of, uh, well, rather a well-rounded approach um, to everything. So, yeah, my community bit is part of the the wider picture. And, I, you know, I totally agree. I think all of those steps are really, really important. Thank you. Faye, you said your first recommendation, that was like, you know, you knocked it out of the park. Um, I'm really uh, looking forward to what your second recommendation would be. Um, So the first one was for someone that's looking to pivot into the industry. I want to ask you if your second recommendation would be, let's say somebody is already in the industry. They're in a role, maybe they're in a junior role. They've got about two to three years experience. And now they're looking for a new challenge. They're looking to grow. They're looking to expand. they're, They're looking to get into a more challenging and fulfilling role. What advice would you have for someone in that situation? So I think that would probably be twofold. So one would be to try and uh, get yourself a really good mentor. So maybe somebody like you're saying, a couple of steps ahead of you um, who can help you um, to maybe understand what their journey was like and what they did to um, get to their more senior position. Um, And the second one would be to maybe go and look at some additional courses um, or something that could bring your knowledge base up so that you can demonstrate that you, you know, you are that expert that you want to be you've got the knowledge base behind you to to carry out that additional role and it could be that maybe you need to look at additional skills so maybe the next step is to become a people manager um, in which case you would be looking at um, you know an additional skill set above and beyond the subject matter Um, so they would be my two recommendations mentor and build your skill set and your knowledge base up for the role that you want. Well, Faye, you are on fire today. So Faye, recommendation for everyone who is actually in a role, they've had years experience in a role and moving forward or thinking about growing and thinking about a promotion or thinking about um, your next real highly paid rewarding role. Faye says what you should do, first of all, is find somebody who's already achieved what you're looking to achieve and ask them to guide you and mentor you. And the next piece of advice she has for you is to get the credibility. So go and get the relevant industry certifications, the ones that have commercial value, the ones that actually can demonstrate you have the subject matter expertise, you have the relevant skills, you have the relevant required knowledge. And the final kind of uh, tip she had as part of that was those subject matter skills, the knowledge will only get you so far, but to really take your career to the next level, You need to develop the soft skills, the people management skills, the communication skills, the ones that will actually help you to be a leader so you can really transform not just teams, but actual organizations and have a greater impact. And that leads me on to my third question, Faye. For for somebody who is quite happy in their role, they have responsibility, um, they they know their stuff, they have the good skills, they have the knowledge, they have the soft skills, but they just want to become a leader, a little bit like yourself. They want to be known as the go-to person in the industry. So, for example, you go to preset conferences and you're known as the go-to person and people ask you for your opinion and they really value that. How does someone then start creating that personal brand where they become the go-to expert? What advice would you have for somebody in that situation who's in a senior role, happy with the role, they're not looking to change, but they're just looking to serve better and uh, serve on a, a greater scale? For somebody in that sort of position, it would probably be um, to go out and 
look for those opportunities. So they're unlikely to just land in your lap. You're going to have to, you know, how can I get involved? Where, what do I want to do? You know, is there a particular area that I'm um, very passionate about? Um, so I think complacency is probably the enemy in, in that sort of role. So it would be, you know, go out, seek out the opportunities, speak to people and, you know, also what direction do you want to go into? Push, push forward with those. But I think it's got to be self-driven um, at that point. Fantastic, fantastic. And uh, one of my mentors said to me, uh, winners create their own. And the, re- the way they do that is through the activity. And one of the things we teach on the mindset program is actually how your focus is going to determine your results. So if you're always, if you're thinking about these opportunities, if you're on the lookout for them, if you're actually doing something, you will notice them. Whereas if you're being complacent, if you're thinking about Netflix and how much of that you're going to buy, binge, then even if those opportunities are in front of you, you'll never see them. And sometimes people think, wow, this person had this great idea just because they observed something. But hundreds and thousands of people saw that same observation every single day. What's the difference between that one person who noticed mm-hmm. it and everybody else? And it's the fact is, this person was already working towards their goals. Their brain was already seeking these opportunities because that's where their focus was and they just happened to capture what all the other people walking by were saying and have a massive impact. And what Faye, uh, what you're saying there, Faye, is we need to do the same, is we need to identify this is where we want to be, identify a niche or something we're particularly passionate about and we want to push forward, and then just go and seek out the opportunities by taking action. Yeah, absolutely. Right, Faye, um, what is your favourite thing about your job, ending-ish the podcast on a lighter note? (laughs) I think my favourite thing about my job is the number of people that I get to engage with across the business. So I'm not just working with one team and, you know, maybe I'll interact with a few other people, um, you know, requests for advice and projects and um, all the work that I'm doing spans across the whole organization so I really enjoy you know getting to speak Mm -hmm. to lots of different people and learn about lots of different areas of the business and I know as part of the GDPR project I loved um, the you know there was a particular point where I you know had engagement with every stakeholder from every team um, almost at all levels and that was just amazing to be able to sort of say you know I know what that team are up to because I've engaged with them and I know what that team are up to so you get a real overview of what your organization's up to um, and I think that's probably my favorite thing. I love that Faye uh, and one of the things I say to everybody on my team when they're doing these records of processing activities is if you've walked away or if you walk in there with a computer and a spreadsheet then don't bother walking in there at all well, what I want you to do is go in there and find out what these people do how they do it why they do it, and how that relates to what we see documented in the processes, in the job description, and just have conversations, get to know them, get to understand them, because when you get to know what they do and you understand what they do, you'll be better aware of the risks, and they feel like, oh, Faye is cool, I can talk to her, I don't have to be worried that she's trying to catch me out, or Mm. she's going to say I can't do something. She's actually really nice, she's interested in what I'm doing. And I think sometimes people overlook just that human side. Like you spoke about soft skills earlier. And when you go and you actually, somebody might have been doing this role for six months, they might have been in for five years. Nobody in their team is going to sit there and say, hey, uh, let me take an interest in your role. They expect you to perform. That's the reason you're there to perform that role. But mm-hmm. when someone comes and shows an interest in what you're doing, how you're doing it, why you're doing it, um, and has those natural conversations, then it can really help you build those relationships, which will come in 
useful later on. And if you need that buy-in, if you need privacy champions, and if you need people as part of your steering groups or your working groups, now you know what everyone does. You know who the best people are to feed that information to you. And you can also have eyes and ears on the ground, especially when you're looking for large companies. But having this network of privacy champions, we're actually going to help you to make sure that you can serve better. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the positioning piece is key as well. So I'll go out and do site visits. and They go, oh, is it an audit? Well, I'm coming out to give you some training. So it'd be very unfair to audit you first when I haven't told you what you should be doing yet or what the process looks like. Um, and they sort of say, oh, well, that's good. People will talk to you then. And it's like, yeah, you know, uh, we, I don't want them to have their guard up because, you know, they'll start talking and then I'll start thinking, oh, that's interesting. Maybe we need a, a process there. If you're doing it, maybe someone in another site's doing it in the, exactly the same role so yeah I, I really enjoy the you know conversational piece taking the time as you say to understand people's roles so yeah that's that's definitely the approach it's got to be more personal and um a cheeky one how often do you take quality street down to uh, those training sessions <laughs> Uh, well, actually, I, I'm quite a good cake baker, so um, bribery with cakes is uh, not above me. <laughs> <laughs> Last question, Faye. Um, we like to get our guests to ask Jamal a question. It could be anything at all. So I would like to know, Jamal, uh, what your biggest challenge has been in your career? And if I can have a two-part question, um, how you overcome that challenge? Wow, that is a very interesting question. <clears throat> I would say my biggest challenge during my career was getting people to actually pay attention and listen to anything I had to say at all, whether it was applying for my first role and listening to why they should give me that role over anyone else or why they should listen to what I'm asking them to do in their business or anything at all. So I think my biggest challenge is, and it's a common theme, is getting people to listen to or getting people to um, kind of understand why they should listen to anything I have to say. And the way I overcame that was to make things easy peasy, break it down in a way that anyone can understand. And one thing I quickly realized is it doesn't matter if I can memorize the 99 articles of the GDPR and all 170 theory cycles and show how smart I am. It doesn't mean anything to anyone. They could have Googled that. I'm not adding any value. But when I go and I break it down and I explain what this actually means, uh, what the requirements are in a way that anyone can understand and how it relates to their role or how it relates to what they're doing or how um, it's going to have an impact on what they may or may not be able to do, then I certainly, started, I certainly saw people were actually paying attention. Uh, people actually wanted to talk to me. People actually wanted me to come on podcasts. They wanted me to come to conferences. They wanted me to come and train their team. So I think breaking things down, um, exactly what you said um, earlier on, making things relatable to individuals in a way that anyone can understand is the biggest skill that I've had to develop, which has been the game changer for me. And when you look at my background, <clears throat> I, I shouldn't kind of be in any of these places. I'm not a lawyer. I don't have a technical background. I don't have a legal background. Um, and there, there, there is not, not, nothing super relevant in any of my earlier um, roles. So how did I manage to really pivot my career and enjoy the journey I've enjoyed so far? And the biggest secret is, is just by making things easy peasy, making things clear, making things concise. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of lawyers do actually find challenging, which is something that we really help them through in the academy is how do we use that legalese and how do we just have conversations with individuals where we're not losing the requirements of the law, 
Uh, we're, not, we're not, you know, making it less serious and we're not making it, uh, watering it down. But how do you actually then convey that in a language that any man, any woman, or even a child could understand? And that has been the thing that's really helped me to propel my career forward. That's the thing that really attracts individuals to come and train with me. And that's the thing that helps me to deliver training and get great results anywhere in the world, regardless of language barriers. Because you know how to simplify things. You know how to break things down. And you know how to teach concepts, complex concepts, in a way that anyone can grasp. And then they actually understand how to operationalize and implement the knowledge into their day-to-day pragmatically and practically. Well, thank you. That was really interesting. And I think you touched on a really good point there because um, I always think, uh, you know, a good lawyer can regurgitate the applicable law, but a great one can tell you, you know, the so what. So, you know, so what do I do with that now? What does that actually mean practically for me? Um, And I think that that was certainly a lesson that I had to learn. On behalf of um, everyone across the world who's been listening, I want to say thank you because that was a super valuable podcast. You made some really good points and those points, if anyone goes and implements them, it's going to be a game changer for the career. So thank you so much on all of those individuals you're going to impact in advance. Thanks both for having me on. I've really enjoyed it. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, like and share so you're notified when a new episode is released. Remember to join the Privacy Pros Academy Facebook group where we answer your questions. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're leaving with some great things that will add value on your journey as a world-class privacy pro. Please leave us a four or five-star review. And if you'd like to appear on a future episode of our podcast or have a suggestion for a topic you'd like to hear more about, please send an email to team at kzient.co.uk. Until next time, peace be with you.